1: a podcast by the Red de Historia Económica Iberoamericana. We are interviewing Clemente Pena, PhD in Social and Economic History by Universidad Federal de Rio de Janeiro. Clemente was recently awarded the Thomas Esmeresangi for Thesis in Economic History of the period 1810 to 1913 during the second edition of the Prize for the Best PhD Thesis in Latin American Economic History, awarded by the Peruvian Association of Economic History in the seventh Latin American Congress of Economic History.
0: Thesis, Urban Economies, Capital, Credit, and Slavery in Rio de Janeiro, 1820 to 1860. By analyzing newspaper, notary books, death legation, judicial uh, attachments, and bills of exchange registry, Clemente investigates the build up of a strong private non banking credit market with complex relationships between the business of slavery, the property rights, and the access to capital.
1: Clemente, thanks for accepting our invitation could you tell us about your academic journey and how you came to study credit and slavery in Rio?
2: Well, first, let, let me thank your podcast. It was, it was a great pleasure. I am not uh, what you'd call a, a uh, economic historian because I, I my entire uh, graduation and my master's uh, degree, I was studying labor history and slavery, uh, more or less. And I ended up uh, uh, doing both in my master's and after my dissertation, uh, an economic history of, of, of the places I was uh, researching. Uh, in my master's uh, dissertation, I was studying slavery in the south of Brazil in a non-export uh, economy. And in, 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 the, in the, the thesis I was and it's then credit in, in huge generator, but it, it start always starts as sort of a way to understand uh, labor relations, and I ended up uh, falling into uh, uh, an economic history analysis because, uh, in my view, to understand labor, we have to understand how basically how money circulate between uh, between uh, workers and employers. And how is the cost of living and all all of these uh, issues I had to deal with, and so I do. Uh, I ended up doing uh, economic history, but I don't consider myself uh, an economic historian, which is which is uh, uh, a little bit funny to me because everyone now sees me all. Oh, it's uh, Clemente. He does. Uh, Economic history, and I, I got a little nervous because I said, "Well, yes, but I, uh, I started as a social historian, and, and so that and and you notice this uh, reading my, uh, my my work quite clearly. It's a work much more of a historian than of a, of an economist. So uh, from my uh, in my thesis, my thesis was the same thing. I I I was trying to my my. Initial idea was trying to do a work on the transition from slavery to free labor uh, in Rio de Janeiro, and I I ended up uh, researching mostly private credit market, and I will explain, uh, explain why later, but uh, as for an academic uh, trajectory, I I was graduated in in history uh, in south of Brazil, Santa Catarina, state of Santa Catarina, uh, in the State University, then I did my master's degree in the Federal University also of Santa Catarina. My master's degree, the title is actually Master in Cultural History. And, and I, I, I went, I uh, lived in the United States for, for, for a few years, and I came back to Brazil to do my uh, my, my doctor, my doctors in the Federal University of uh, Rio de Janeiro. And like I said, it began as an idea to study labor relations. And, and while I was doing research, I, I stopped and said, okay, I don't know how money circulates into this society so before i understand how is the labor market i would see if i get a feeling of what the uh, financial and credit market is and, then, <laughs> and when i started this path i didn't stop and the entire dissertation deals with uh, uh with private uh with private credit so now uh after the, my my thesis. I did a postdoc with uh, Missila Maria Sibilla Marion Center for Inequalities, and this is pretty much uh, uh, my academic uh, my academic career so far. And and, and like I said, uh, uh, the credit uh, was. Uh, Came up to me as as a way to understanding the labor market. Thank you, Clemente. So, uh, as I mentioned before, a contribution of your thesis
0: is the analysis of two institutions: slavery and credit. Both, uh, all institutions, but uh, antagonics. So, what is your take on the discussion led by Daron Acemoglu and James Robinson on extractive and inclusive institutions?
2: Uh, uh, thank you for for the question, Martin. Uh, well. I, I have to say that I I don't think they are that slavery and credit. I thought, but I I, I end the, uh, at at the end of my uh, research. I I didn't I I, I didn't uh, agree. I don't agree that the uh, slavery and credit are antagonic institutions, especially not uh, what we would call the modern authentic slavery. Uh, and as as try to as I, I try to show in the uh, along the uh, the thesis uh th- this there's a two uh issues that are very intertwined and 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 close links between the way slavery worked in uh in Rio de Janeiro and we can say in the Americas and how credit uh circulated and, and yes I, I i think uh Assemaglu uh, and Robinson, when, when they when they discuss uh, the uh, inclusive institutions, as you know, uh, an an economy in which all uh, all people could uh, somewhat participate in in and get benefits from participating in, in, in economic activities. Uh, we don't see that in slavery and he's quite right i would say uh most of the uh, enslaved uh africans that were brought to to work in 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 brazil uh did not did not get any of the fruits of their labor and so we we could most definitely uh uh, uh using the uh that you <clears throat> just the two, just two definitions of uh, Asamoah and Robinson, uh, Brazilian slavery would be an extractive institution. But but th- that, but that's the, the there's a problem uh, uh, with that. In in especially in Rio de Janeiro. In here, I, I, I would like to stress that I am talking about urban slavery. And it, it works very differently from what we would expect in a plantation setting, because you have uh, a lot of owners of a little bit of number of slaves. So you have, usually you don't have uh, one, one, one guy in Rio de Janeiro that owns 200 slaves in the city of Rio de Janeiro, as you would see in a sugar plantation or in a coffee plantation. In, in the Paraiba Valley, uh, so this complicates a little bit this uh, extractive and inclusive institutions applying this to, to to the urban setting of of Rio, especially of uh, when when you look at the literature about uh, slavery in Brazil and how it works uh, in sort of a mix of. Of incentives, uh, positive and negative incentives. So it's a very violent institution, uh, and violence is, uh, is sort of intrinsic to to the functioning of slavery, both in urban and 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 rural settings. But in urban settings, the positive uh, incentives to uh, enslave person uh, work. They, they exist and they usually live in Brazil, which is very different from uh, from the rest of the Americas, with the manumissions, the cartas de Foria. So Brazil has a very high number of slaves that would become free by manumissions, either buying their freedom or uh, with the masters and the owners. I don't like the word masters. With the owners. Uh, and for good services and whatnot. So in a way, uh, in in, in what I what I see, it's more of a even uh, which he, which may sound uh, controversial, but you have a the, the many missions sort of create a more uh, inclusive institution, even with slavery, because you have at least. A small possibility of buying your freedom in in South United States, uh, you cannot, uh, the manumissions in some states were prohibited. There's laws that would not allow a master to free, an owner to free their, uh, the enslaved uh, workers. Uh, In Brazil, it's, it's sort of the other way around. So in Rio de Janeiro during the most of the 19th century, you see a high number of uh, freed Africans and Afro-Brazilians, Afra- and so th- that's why I think uh, uh, in in Rio, I, I don't I, I don't see too much of that cut between inclusive and uh, extractive uh, institutions when we're talking uh, about slavery, but uh, and and. Obviously, it's. Uh, I don't have the <laughs> enough data to uh, to contradict this these assumptions, but uh, but I think we need a little bit more research research on, on the uh, inner workings of uh, of uh, the slave society to to do uh, you know, to classify it in in in, in this sort of dual way. It's either excludes all of the workers from uh, from the process. And I, here I'm, 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 I'm uh, talking of uh, slaves as workers and inclusive that it attracts the workers and, and they can bear the fruits of their participation in, in the economy. So uh, I think for my case, in the case of urban slavery in, in, in Rio de Janeiro, I... I have a hard time uh, uh, either saying it's one thing or the other. It's either uh, inclusive or an extractive uh, institution as regards to uh, slavery in the, in the city of Janeiro.
1: Mm-hmm. Continuing with this discussion on slavery, uh, in your thesis, you mentioned that slavery was not an obstacle for for the consolidation of capitalism in Brazil or any other country, if it matters. Was this close relationship between slavery and credit a common factor across slavery economies? Uh,
2: yes, I, I don't, uh, I, 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 I did think that it might be uh, uh, slavery might work against uh, the consolidation of, of capitalism, but uh, while doing uh, my research, uh, what I noticed is that uh, the transactions of buying and selling an uh, enslaved person uh, we generate a lot of credit tiles and bills of exchange or promissory notes or a credit tile of <laughs> uh, a negotiable credit tile, which is uh, important. Negotiable is very important here. So when uh, an enslaved person entered the portal, of Rio de Janeiro, that person has you know, a monetary value and that money enters the uh, Rio de Janeiro's economy and it, 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 it's automatically transformed when the person is, is bought and sold in the negotiable credit tile that will circulate and it's, it's, it's sort of a, a, a trigger to a booster to the credit market uh, in here. So at, at one at, at one point we have uh, uh, commercial firms that would deal with not only with the uh, uh, with commerce of human beings, but with any sorts of uh, of commercial uh, dealings. And and what you see is that the credit tiles that circulate, all of them will have some ties with slavery. Because it's, uh, when you see these commercial firms dealing with bills of exchange, that it's one of the credit instruments that I will that I will research in, uh, during the dissertation. Uh, you cannot really uh, say that. all. the fact that we have uh, uh, slavery—it uh, would some, somewhat as if with slavery would sort of immobilize capital. So you, you, you tie that capital in the enslaved person. This simply does not happen. The capital, it's not the money that an enslaved person is It's uh, it's valued at the time. Which it circulates in forms of credit ties So and in case of Brazil, we don't have a banking system of anything close to a banking system before the 1860s. So we have the first Bank of Brazil uh, established in 1808 and is liquidated in 29. But it's it's sort of a, a, a bank of the Portuguese uh, royal family. So if it, it's it's not a, a what we'd expect from a, a commercial bank at the time. It works differently. And when it's liquidated in 29, the next bank to be open in Rio de Janeiro, it's in 1838. So it's a decade without any banks in the city that is one of the main commercial hubs of South America and one of the busiest parts in the Atlantic. So I was like, okay, how does that? Uh, it's, a, it's sort of a, uh, something that it struck me like, okay, so how does. How the city managed to function such a massive uh, market without any financial institution. So uh, one of the things I noticed is that the money and the capital invested in, in, in slavery and the business of slavery, as I call they, they, they did foster credit circulation, and at the same time, they would serve as collateral for this credit circulation. So once uh, a debt is not paid, they would simply uh, seize that enslaved person and that would be considered paid for. So uh, in a way, what I noticed is that uh, and, and in the first half of the 19th century, this business of slavery, they, they foster a lot of uh, credit instruments. These credit instruments, they will be they, they will be integrated to the banking system in the second half. So uh, instead of uh, uh, private and commercial firms doing uh, credit transactions, the banks would start to intermediate this uh, this bills of exchange. But the the money of slavery is still there. So in a way, uh, when, when the banking system and, and in, in Brazilian uh, economic literature, uh, we sort of see an idea that the end of the slave trade in 1850s would liberate that capital that was tied in, in, slave, uh, in the slave trade and slavery. And this was the money that would uh, finance the banking, the, 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 um, the new banking system that, that was coming. And what I'm what I what I'm trying to say in the dissertation is that from what the what the archival sources are showing is that the money was not that slavery never tied any money. It it, it sort of fostered circulation because most of the deals in the business of slavery were were done by uh, credit and, and negotiable credit tiles. So that that's the link I try to do between. Uh, uh, slavery and, and capitalism thinking here uh, more of a financial uh, capitalism in the in the 19th century. How uh, the the uh, the booming of the financial markets in Brazil uh, in the second half of the uh, 19th century. You, you, you cannot understand that without first seeing how money circulated in the first half and how. Slavery act as as or pretty much as a financial instrument in the hands of their of their owners. So this is a little bit with what I'm trying to show, and and the links I do between uh, a somewhat loose idea of financial capitalism. I, I don't I, I I don't try to define uh, uh, capitalism and. And it's very hard to do, especially when you're dealing with slavery <laughs> and in South America in, in the 19th century. But uh, but I do think that you understand what would become a capitalist society in, in 19th century Brazil or 20th century Brazil. Uh, we will need to understand how uh, the sort of the finances or the financial side of, of slavery. So that's a little bit what I'm trying to do.
0: Great, thank you Clemente.
2: Uh, another question is that
0: uh, one of your arguments in the thesis is that uh, historiography has paid little attention to the impact of legal and, and customary rules that supported trade and loans. So do you think that Brazilian case constituted an exception? Why would it be relevant to delve into this matter?
2: Okay, so yeah, that, that's a good question. Uh, it, it's not that I think that that historiography. I, I think they did pay uh, some attention to uh, legal and customary rules in in, in economic activity. Uh, but w- when we talk about, uh, and here I'll, I'll say specifically about Brazil, that is what I know. I don't know much about how this. Uh, uh, the commercial and civil law would uh, work in, in, in Spanish America. But uh, in, in Brazil, what we have is a, a, a significant part of the uh, institutional uh, school would see uh, Brazilian uh, courts and the Brazilian legal system as not enforcing property rights as you would see in uh, the Anglo-Saxon uh, world, and mostly a uh, discussion that says that well, we didn't go to uh, a glorious uh, revolution over here uh, in, in in Brazil when you have uh, absolutist monarchy ruling Brazil, and this is true, and so the the uh, we don't have a congress or or, or uh, uh, legislation done by by peers so of free men. that's that's we'll see in the discussion of the glorious revolution in, in in england and after this institutional changes and sort of evolutions the institutional evolution that we' see in 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 North america with the uh with the independence uh, But on on the other hand, uh, although this is right, we don't have that, but I I, I strongly disagree that the courts and and the legal system in Brazil would not enforce property rights. They did, and mostly because it would be, to me, uh, me it's unimaginable to think that Brazil would maintain uh, slavery, all the way to 1988 without enforcing property rights, because you know, one of the main things that uh, keeps slavery in check, um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a slavery, it's a property that is a relation of property in slavery that's very strong. So one of the key elements to define slavery, it's the property in human beings. So when you turn a human being into a, a, a sort of a natural property, and most of the discussions, from, from what I noticed in, in the literature, it comes from, uh, it, it kind of builds from one specific law uh, in the seventy fifties and in colonial Brazil, uh, when the Portuguese, <coughs> excuse me, the Portuguese uh, 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 courts uh, decide that no uh, no property or a uh, slave mining business or or a plantation with more than thirty slaves would suffer a seize in assets because of uh, unpaid debt. So what uh, when I say the legal attachments, when you when you sue someone for that, you have the legal attachments that it's basically the seizing of a property. You go to you, you gotta confiscate the person's property to pay for the, uh, uh, you you know, to fulfill the debt. So uh, there's this law in 1756, if I'm not mistaken. It's called Ley Trintena, and uh, it's sort of the 30 uh, 30 law. It's that no property with more than than, than 30 uh, slaves uh, would suffer a, a uh legal attachment a seizing of property to pay for for a debt so this is in in, in, in some the code letter of the law as we say it, it's the is the Portuguese authority directly uh, influencing property rights so they are they sort of curtailing the uh, property rights of the person who uh, who is the creditor in that relation because he in that relationship because he will not be able to sue and seize a property for someone who has more than than 30 uh slaves but this law it, it, it was enacted in 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 the hype of the gold mining in in brazil in in, in many ways you you can see it as as a way of uh of so sort of an idea of the portuguese uh authorities to not uh, slow down gold mining because of some uh legal procedures that would seize the slaves and so the the law when 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 a slave is is seized for the payment of the debt that slave would be taken out of the property would be deposited in uh, in the deposit public as a show in the, in the dissertation so any legal proceedings uh, of, of that nature would pretty much, you know, mess with the gold mining. So that's just something the Portuguese authorities. Okay, we that's really not ideal. So uh, let's not stop mining with the, uh, a, a mining operation with more than various lakes. It's a big one. So the revenues from the Portuguese uh, from the Brazilian colonies. Uh, with the gold mining skyrocket, so they don't want to interrupt that business uh, in no circumstances. Under no circumstances. And, and but when you look at the uh, the application and this law being used, you see that it was really not that big of a deal. And and you still have uh, uh, legal proceedings and and, and that. Slaves would be seized because of that litigation so in the uh, in the eighteenth century, and the law was really uh, it, it really didn't affect the 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 courts that one would imagine. but then <laughs> I, and, and then this law comes back to the scene in the eighteen fifteen. And what the uh, Don Juan, uh, the Portuguese king, does, Don Juan says to, in 1815, is that he says that from that point on, no slave would be seized because of an unpaid debt. So it, it sort of uh, cuts down the 30, 30 slave rules that apply to uh, a property or owner of any amount of. Uh, of, of, of slaves. So if you have one slave, doesn't matter if you have two or if you have 30, the law will apply to everyone. So in 1815, what, what this literature sees, okay, so here, here we see the Portuguese uh, ruler uh, severely curtailing property rights, and, and so it, it, but then again, uh, when you look at the context and what is happening in the 1815, you see that uh, Brazil is it's, uh, it's under a tremendous pressures tremendous from the uh, British Empire to abolish the slave trade with Africa. And they sign a, a, a few treaties in 1808 when the Portuguese court leaves Portugal fleeing the Napoleon armies to Rio de Janeiro. And the British support to this uh, sort <laughs> of unprecedented uh, move is that Brazil would uh, abolish the slave trade uh in in the coming years. So in eighteen fifteen you have a tremendous pressure for the abolition of the slave trade. So uh, to me, what, what this law represents is again it's a way as a sort of as Don is trying to okay uh the Brazilian economy and now the Portuguese Empire depends on slave production in Brazil. So without the revenues from slave production in Brazil, the economy would would collapse. In the event of the uh, the slave trade ending in 1815 or in 1816 or 17, which it was, it looked like it would happen because the pressure was, was pretty intense. Uh, I see this law as sort of a way of uh, a, a sort of preemptive move to avoid uh, a sort of a cascade effect of, you know, uh, what sort of a panic that would would strike the Brazilian economy without uh without uh slavery without the uh, slave trade in Africa because it, it uh, the Brazilian economy depended on it we don't have enough uh, labor force labor power uh, without uh sequestering and, and, and and enslaving uh, Africans so what what I think the don Juan Don Juan does here with, uh, with expanding the, the late intent of the sturdy rule to any number of or whatever, any number of slaves. It's sort of a preemptive move to say, okay, so if in case the slave trade ends, let's not panic, let's not sue each other and again start seizing slaves left and right because of unpaid debts and Collapse the economy and the revenues of the uh, Portuguese Empire. And again, when you look at the uh, this law in the courts being applied in the courts, you have slaves being seized between eighteen fifteen and eighteen thirty two, when the law actually is uh, it's abolished in eighteen thirty two. The they specifically will say, okay, the, the the 1815 law that prohibits the seizing of any uh, slaves, it's uh, it's terminated. So, uh, but it, it really did not happen uh, in the courts. You will see an uh, 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 enslaved person being seized for for that litigation, and and, and that's why I think uh, in the literature kind of takes the rule of the law too literally. So uh, sometimes there's, the law says something, but applying the, the law, of the legal system, uh, works a, a, in another way. So in, in the case of Brazil, you have a very um, complex uh, legal system in which you have the law of the good reason. So Brazil does not have a civil... Cold, all the way until 1916, and in in the case of, uh, of that legation, you will have uh, tons of uh, what we call alvaras. So it's it's sort of a uh, I don't know how, how it translates to English, but it's sort of a a, a royal decree, and, and this alvaras and. and uh, Several other laws that that would uh, that would deal with with the uh, with with that litigation, but uh, and and with this law, good reason we still have uh, the, the Brazilian the Brazilian judge that is ruling on that litigation. He can use the French Civil Code or any any law of a civilized nation of a civilized nation. So when you stop to think about it and you look institutionally to this setting it's like, this is. This is confused. I I I, 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 I give that to uh, to to this literature and criticizing it. It's 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 actually not not very straightforward uh, the application of the several uh, laws. But at the same time, it gives room to uh, uh, to the courts to adapt to a lot of situations. So you can use. So when you don't have a very strict law and you have several rules, the courts can use that as as they not as they please. Okay, as yes, they please is not a good term, but 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 the courts have somewhat uh, 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 some they have some room for negotiation here. So in uh, most of the times, this room for negotiation would. Mean enforcing property rights because without property rights, you cannot uh, uh, a slave society cannot function. So that, that's why I think uh, when you look at the the law being applied, this confusing law being applied in in Brazilian courts, where you see it's it's sort of a counterintuitive thing that uh, although it looks. Uh, very confusing and would work against property rights and securing contracts. The result of this is actually the other way around. So the courts use this diverse setting of rules and laws to enforce property rights. And and that's, to me, that's what maintains slavery in Brazil for so long. And when you think about the... uh, uh, how slavery would work, uh, intertwined with uh, negotiable credit tiles, uh, you have a, a sort of a scenario when when this, uh, with, with this particular uh, strange setting of laws, it was not a problem. Yes. Uh, we,
0: we, we thought that 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 is a, a very interesting uh, thing. I mean, uh, the legal thing and the relations uh, require more study, I think. But we want to ask you another question that maybe is not related with this with this issue. Um, so your thesis uh, is very really rich in the use of primary sources, and and can you tell us the challenge you have dealing with them?
2: Okay, yeah, there, there are many because I uh, basically what I use in. In the dissertation, were the uh, the registry for bills of exchange, uh, which is a glory records for for uh, bills of exchange, a lot of newspaper, and the uh, the documents from what is called the deposito público, the public warehouse, which is a, a sort of a branch of the uh, Brazilian uh, uh judicial system. Uh the, one of the problems uh with the with the bills of exchange now that I use some almost 3,000 uh, bills of exchange is that I can only see in the registry is the default. I only see the bills of exchange that we're not paid for. Or so yeah, because you don't, the, the law don't uh, don't ask for a person with a with a credit title, a bill of exchange, to register the bill for for it to be valid, but you have to register a bill in order to protest and start a a debt litigation. So the only bills of exchange I see in the registries are the ones. Uh, of, of, it's of the ones that are, it's either uh, due uh the, the holder of the credit thinks it will not be paid for. So this obviously creates uh, several methodological problems because uh, you have to be careful not to extrapolate your hypothesis because you, you're dealing only with a small fraction of the the bills market. So uh, it, it might give an impression that, okay, so people are not, uh, are not honoring their debts because all I can see is people there not honoring the debts. so but uh, uh, the way I try to circumvent this problem is looking for uh, 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 for bankruptcy and and, and other uh, litigation in courts when usually what happens is that when a, when a commercial firm goes bankrupt, they have to copy their books, you know the entry entry books, so the double entry books so what what the firm, all the money that enters and leaves that commercial firm. And sometimes they copy the books of the firms, the commercial firms that have deals with the commercial firms. So what I noticed in, in, in this, trying to circumvent this problem of only seeing uh, debts that will not be paid, uh, Although I look at bankruptcy, there's people are not paying. That. That's, you, can, you can see a vast amount of bills of exchange in circulation. So uh, as I show in the dissertation, one single commercial firm in 1829 moves more money in credit tiles than the entire book from 18, the registry for, for protest of bills of exchange from 1835 and 36. So two years of a register book. It's less than what you see being a negotiating in one not a very big uh, commercial firm, a real medium commercial firm, in huge energy. So So uh, what I can tell is uh, there's a lot of this uh, credit tiles in circulation, but there, you have to be careful with uh, uh, with the kind of uh, this problem of. Only see uh, and pay debts, and the the deposito pubblico, the, the public warehouse. Uh, it was I was lucky to find it because I was I I knew, I knew it existed because I seen that litigation. I uh, send this uh, this slave or this chair or whatever see whatever's uh, 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 um, whatever's being uh, seized ask lateral for that, send you the deposit publico. It's what the what the the data litigation says. Okay, okay, there's I knew okay, there's a deposit public. And and I, I looked for it in, in, in the National Archives in Brazil and in, in, in the archives of the city of Rio de Janeiro, and it was nowhere. And then by chance, one time I was going to the uh, state archive of Rio de Janeiro with my wife, which is she's also restoring. historian, she researches uh, child labor in, in in 19th century. And and this uh, state archives, they have uh, they don't have uh, documents from the city of Rio de Janeiro, but from the other cities in the province of Rio de Janeiro. It's, it's, uh, it's the state of Rio de Janeiro. And you know, I was just you know, uh, <laughs> going there as a to uh, make a company, and I start to look at the uh, at the the catalogs, and I see uh, it was it was like this: is uh, DP Fund, mm-hmm. eighteen twenty nine to eighteen eighty eight. I said, okay, eighteen twenty nine to eighteen eighty eight. Maybe this has to do with slavery, but it didn't uh, make the connection of uh, DP as being deposited to Público and I I, I asked for the uh, for the books and what I have there it was it was, and I was ecstatic because I have in the uh, in those books is the last part of, of several delegations in in courts of few generators it's the uh, all of the uh, litigations that have assets seized as collateral for that's what not all, but a massive part of them, would ended up going to the deposit to the public, and and those books they have the the receipt of that asset leaving the deposit. So, so I have a paper that says the number of the parts under that litigation, the result of that litigation, what asset was seized. And dates and what courts it is so uh, instead of having to <laughs> to look thousands of uh, uh data procedures sometimes they're 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 long 20 40 hundreds of pages long in one single page having sort of the entire thing so that, that was that was a like, considered luck it's a very important part of, uh, of archival uh, research.
1: Clemente. We would like to ask you a question that is basically directed to the early career researchers, because your thesis um, contributes to the literature by bringing this question of how, in a city that has a slavery and that has no non that, that has a not a banking system as we know it today, how it survived. Basically, is, is uh, if I can um, risk to say something that that says what is your thesis but what would you say to the researchers that are studying slavery and those who are looking for a more inclusive and diversified academia what would you recommend them to what how how they should approach uh, these periods and the slavery and trade uh, in our countries but uh, that's that's
2: a that's a very good question so uh what I what I notice uh, today is that, especially uh, if if you get the, the the state of the art in in, in the United States, the, the discussions of racial capitalism are, are you know are in full force. So it's it's a it's it's a theme that it's uh, uh, that's attracting a, a lot of uh, a lot of attention of of researchers in. in in, in North America, and one of the things that it really helped me was this uh, the this archival archival side of my uh, of my research with uh, building databases and 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 uh, sort of a quantitative approach that that I do because. Uh, uh, so one of the things i would say for, for whoever is is doing research is it, it, it took me a while to <laughs> i, I kind of learn by by paying is that when you doing the research and building this databases or, or acquiring uh, uh, data for your research sort of try to do it a little more broadly that other researchers can use so don't do research only for yourself because uh, one of the things that opened uh, a lot of doors for me is the fact that I, I had a, a, a database and sources that would, that I built the database in a way that, uh, that I, if I change it a little bit, other people could use it. And, and uh, so it, it, it's one of the things, and, and, and usually people are interested in seeing uh, and have access to, uh, to archival sources. So it opens uh, several doors. Uh, in brazil unfortunately the the political uh the political scene now it's not very uh welcoming to uh to research so uh, uh, we have a lot of cuts in funding for 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 research so i had to uh look for uh, funding elsewhere because the brazilian uh, uh funding uh, uh uh agencies were really in shambles it's 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 quite troubling right now but uh I, so uh, as as a uh, young researcher i to me what, what really helped me was uh was being able to show not only the uh results of my uh, of my research but also the data that i acquire so i build databases put them online and publish the databases um, and that that does help uh but uh and, and it's sad to say this but unfortunately <laughs> uh, uh the language barrier uh it, it's it's terrible for us in 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 south america that don't speak english because it it really uh, it really limits uh, uh, uh your your possibilities of of financing your your research in uh, in in other places so uh, uh, learning english and to me was uh, was uh, happened by because I, I live in the united states so to me it was easier but uh, uh trying to publish more in, in english is uh, i mean it's 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 sad, but it's unfortunately essential because uh, we don't. I mean, people don't. Uh, Spanish is a little bit easier because a lot of people uh, outside of uh, of Latin America speak Spanish, but Portuguese nobody speaks Portuguese. So uh, knowing English was uh, was really helpful. And 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 to me, it's that. I mean, uh, uh, you have to sort of. Uh, broad your uh, your your networks and trying to find uh, uh, financing for research because th- there's there's some there's money out there for research but uh, uh you know as, as a as a young researcher maybe uh, and, and you know getting help from uh, more experienced uh, researchers helped me a lot too so a network. It's it's really important, and and as the business uh, business collective, uh, uh, business history collective does. I mean, it, it, it showcases your research to as as many people as as you can. But but my my advice, from point of view of history, is uh, try to show not only the results of uh, research, but uh, your data, your data and how you. How you get to though those those, uh, uh, those results in my case my very good case helped a little bit and, and but I, I think I congratulate you you guys for the uh for the initiative of you know doing the podcasts and and, and you know helping people to publicize their uh, their research it's really a fantastic work you guys are doing
1: thank you Clemente for the for the Uh, congratulations for the red. Um, I I think with this last answer, we can close uh, another episode of The Sistas today with Clemente Pena, PhD in Social and Economic History by the Universidad Federal de Rio de Janeiro. Uh, I am going to remind the the people who is listening to us to read Clemente's thesis and contact contact him with questions or suggestions on his data set and to follow his advice on that we need is networks looking for money (laughs) and (laughs) languages. Just as the early 19th century as he presented his in his thesis. So until our next episode, thank you so much.